Chapter 23 of The False Faces. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The False Faces by Louis Joseph Vance. When Stanish Street had gone out in company with Stone, and the broken, weeping Blunsop, ending a scene indescribably painful, a lull almost as uncomfortable to Lanyard ensued. Then, how did you guess? Cecilia Brooke asked in wonder. Discountenanced by the admiration glowing in her eyes, Lanyard stood fumbling with the disjointed members of Blensop's pen. "'Do not give me too much credit,' he depreciated. Anybody acquainted with that roll of paper could have guessed that an empty fountain pen would furnish an ideal place of concealment for it. Moreover, just before you came in, that traitor missed his pen, and his consternation betrayed him beyond more doubt to one whose distrust was already astir. As for the other, it was true.' Blensop did write down the combination on this pad, using a pencil with a hard lead. The marks are very plain. But for whose use? Ekstrom, Anderson, was here last night and saw Blensop alone. Colonel Stanistreet was not at home. Knowing what we know now, that Blensop was a creature of the German system here, bought body, soul, and conscience through its studied pandering to his vices, we know he could not well have refused to surrender the combination on demand. Still, I fail to understand— ekstrom being ekstrom could not resist the opportunity to play double here was a property he could sell to england at a stiff price why not despoil the enemy put the money in pocket then return steal the paper anew for the use of germany and collect the stipulated reward from that source but he reckoned without blensop's avarice there he showed blensop too plainly the way to profit through betraying both parties to a bargain Blensop saw no reason why he should not play the game that Ekstrom played. So he stole it for himself to sell to Germany, but being a poor witless fool, lacking Ekstrom's dash and audacity, was foredoomed to failure and exposure. The girl continued to eye him steadfastly, and he as steadfastly to evade her direct gaze. Nothing that you could tell me detracts from the wonder of your guessing so accurately, she insisted. Now I know what Mr. Crane said of you was true, that you are one of the most extraordinary of men. He was too kind when he said that, Lanyard protested wretchedly. It is not true. If you must know. Well, Monsieur Lanyard? Her tone was that of a light-hearted girl, arch with provocation. Of a sudden Lanyard understood that he might no longer stop here alone with her. If you will be a little indulgent with me, he suggested, I will try to explain what I mean. And how indulgent, monsieur? I have a whim to take the air in this garden. Will you accompany me? Why not? As she led the way through the French windows, he noted with deeper misgivings how her action matched the temper of her voice, how she seemed to-day more deliciously alive and happier than any common mortal, so light her heart, and all since she had found him here at his wit's ends he conceded now what he had so long denied with all her wit and wisdom with all her charm of beauty winsomeness and breeding with all her ingrained love of truth and honesty she was no more than nature had meant her to be a woman with a woman's weakness for the man she must admire she liked him divined in him latent qualities somehow excellent something in him worked upon her imagination something no doubt in the over-coloured romantic yarns current about the lone wolf and so had touched her heart she liked him too well already and she was willing to like him better but that must never be he must rend ruthlessly apart this illusion of romance with which she chose to transfigure the prowling parasite of night the sneaking thief the garden was sweet with the bright promise of spring. A few weeks more, and its formal walks would wend a riot of flowers. Now its sunlight made amends for what it lacked in beauty of growing things, and its air was warm and fragrant, and still in the shelter of the red brick walls. 
Midway down that walk, by the side of which a thief had skulked nine hours ago, near that door whose lock had yielded to his cunning keys, the girl paused and confronted Lanyard spiritedly as he came up with heavy step and hang-dog head. "'Well, monsieur,' she demanded, "'do you mean to tantalize me longer with your reticence?' But something in the haggard eyes he showed her made the girl catch her breath. "'What is it?' she cried anxiously. "'Monsieur Duchemin, what is your trouble?' only this truth that i must tell you he said bitterly i merely played a part back there just now that was neither wit nor guesswork in that business once i had seen blensop's panic over the fancied loss of his pen the rest was knowledge i saw him and ekstrom together last night skulking in those windows i watched them and though in my denseness i didn't understand i saw him ride upon that pad tear off and give the sheet to ekstrom and i knew ekstrom had not succeeded in stealing back what he had sold to colonel stanistreet knew he was guiltless in fact if not indeed but how could you know that because i was there in the room when he entered it after it had been shut up for the night conscious of her hands that fluttered like wounded things to her bosom he looked away in misery what were you doing there she whispered in the end trying to find that paper which i had seen ekstrom sell to colonel stanistreet so that i might make good my promise and relieve your distress by returning it to you i had opened the safe before he entered and searched it thoroughly and knew the paper was not there though at that time it never entered my head to suspect blensop of treachery it was neither blensop nor ekstrom miss brooke it was i who stole that necklace she made no sound and did not stir though he dared not look he knew her stricken gaze was steadfast to his face i will say this much in my defence i did not come with the intent to steal but only to take back what had been stolen from me and return it to you who had trusted it to my care i wanted to do that because i did not then understand the ins and outs of this intrigue and had no means of knowing how deeply your honour might be involved but you did not take the necklace i am sorry i saw it and could not resist it but mr crane assured me you had given up all that sort of thing years ago notwithstanding that it seems i may not be trusted after another trying silence she declared vehemently i do not believe you you say this thing for some secret purpose of your own for some reason i can't understand you wish to abase yourself in my sight to make me think you capable of such infamy why ah monsieur why must you do this because it isn't fair to represent myself as what i am not mademoiselle once a thief always no it isn't true again i am sorry but i know you have been most generous to believe in me if anything could save me from myself it would be your confidence that i presume is why i called upon to undo my thieving and make good the loss the money colonel stanistreet paid ekstrom is now in the safe back there in the library the necklace is here blindly he thrust the tissue packet into her hands if you will consent to return it to its owner when i have gone i shall be most grateful her hand shook so that when she opened the packet it escaped her grasp and dropped into a little pool of rain-water which had collected in a hollow of the walk lanyard picked it up stripped off the soiled and sodden paper dried the necklace with his handkerchief replaced it in her hand he heard the deep intake of her breath as she recognized its beauty then her quavering voice you give this back because of me because i cannot be an ingrate i know no other way to prove how i have prized your faith in me and now with your leave i will go away quietly by this garden gate no please no but i have more to say to you it isn't fair of you to go like this when i she interrupted herself and when next she spoke he was dashed by a change in her voice from a tone of passionate expostulation to one of amused animation colonel stanistreet she called clearly do come here at once please startled lanyard saw that stanistreet had appeared in the french windows in company with crane in response to cecilia's hail both came out into the garden stanistreet briskly leading crane lounging at his heels champing his cigar his weathered features knitted against the brightness of the sun
"'Good morning, Miss Brooke. Howdy, Lanyard. Are you Deschmay again?' he said, but his salutations were lost in the wonder excited by the girl's next move. "'See, Colonel Stanistreet, what we have found?' she cried, sh and showed him the necklace. "'I mean what Monsieur Deschmay found.' it was he who saw it lying beneath that rose-bush over there your burglar must have dropped it in making his escape you can see the paper he wrapped it in all rain-wet and muddied stanistreet's eyes protruded alarmingly and his face grew very red before he found breath enough to ejaculate god bless my soul breathing hard he accepted the necklace from cecilia's hands i must excuse me i must tell my sister-in-law about this immediately he turned and trotted hastily back into the house crane lingered but a moment longer his cheek as ever was bulging around his everlasting cigar was his tongue therein as well lanyard never knew the man's eyes remained inscrutable for all the kindly shrewdness that glimmered amid their netted wrinkles excuse me he said suddenly i got to tell the colonel something he got lankily into motion and presently passed in through the windows irresistibly her gaze drew lanyard's he lifted careworn eyes and realized her with a great wistfulness upon him she awaited in silence his verdict her chin proudly high her face adorably flushed her shining eyes level and brave to his her generous hands outstretched must you go now she said tenderly as he stood hesitant and shamed must you go now my dear end of chapter twenty three end of the false faces by lewis joseph vance